While they're returning to their seats, let me invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to wrap up chapter 3 this morning. We are in a uh, prolonged study in the book of Romans, and uh, this morning we're going to get through chapter 3. Uh, two weeks from today, we'll start uh, into chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the passage will be on the screen uh, behind me in just a moment. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 31. And as a, uh, as a Stephen Ministry care receiver, I've had the benefit of having Stephen minister when my father was ill and, and passed away. Uh, and my Stephen minister was just amazing, just incredible. We, we had a friendship before then uh, through just spending time together with, with another friend of ours, but uh, that bond was even strengthened uh, through that time. And, and what a blessing um, that it was just to have somebody that cared about you and wasn't a counselor and wasn't trying to fix you, was just trying to uh, be there for you and support you and encourage you. So I, I just uh, am, a, uh, am a satisfied uh, recipient of the Stephen Ministry Care. And so if you're hurting in any way, if you're struggling in any way, please uh, don't hesitate uh, to, uh, to talk to one. They'll be actually, we always have our prayer team up after the service, and actually Stephen Ministers will be up front after the service. So uh, they'll be praying for you, but also if you want to know more about Stephen Ministry, that'd be a good chance to, uh, to take advantage of that. Um, you know that the truth is that we all really love to boast, now, we might be subtle about it. We might be coy about it. We, not, we might kind of weave it into conversations. But the truth of the matter is we all really enjoy kind of bragging a little bit. Like if you asked me this morning, you know, how's your high school hockey team doing? I could say, well, you know, we're kind of doing okay. Or I could say, well, we lost our first game of the playoffs. Everybody counted us out, but we came back and we won. And then we won in the shootout and we beat the higher-seeded team and we sent that pack in and we're going on to the next round of the playoffs. I could put it like that if I wanted to, but I don't like to boast too much, so I'm not really going to. Uh, if you ask me about Green Tree Community Church, I could boast about a lot of things. Uh, I'm sorry, Green Tree Community Aircraft Carrier. I'm trying to figure out my role. I know Jesus is the captain. Maybe I'm in charge of flight operations. Maybe that's there's a little. You got to think about that. There's a little. If you don't believe in the rapture, that went over your head. Um, but when people ask me about my church, I, I brag about Green Tree all the time. I love being the pastor of Green Tree Community Church. If you're from St. Louis and you run into somebody from Chicago, isn't it kind of nice to boast about the Cardinals as opposed to the Cubs uh, just a little bit? You know, we, we boast about our kids. Uh, we boast about our kids' grades sometimes. Um, oh, my gosh, what's this letter I have here? University of Alabama, Jordan Ricks. We're pleased that your academic performance has placed you on the dean's list for the 2010 fall term. How about that? What do you know? I don't want to really mention that or go into whole lot of detail. I, I was on the dean's list. In, I was on a dean's list in college. It wasn't that dean's list. We all like to boast. Even mothers of hardened criminals. You know, little Johnny was the best, you know, armed robber. He got out early on good behavior. I mean, we, we try to find ways to, uh, to kind of boast ourselves uh, into a good spot. The question we want to consider this morning as we wrap up chapter 3 of Romans, the question Paul wants us to consider is, do disciples of Jesus... Um, do we check that attitude at the door when it comes to our faith? Uh, or can we boast about being reconciled to God? Did we have a part to play in that, that we can kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, way to go? Do our efforts, do, do my efforts, do your efforts earn our place in heaven? Where's our boasting this morning? It's a question that Paul wants us to consider. The end of Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Hear the word of God then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? 
Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Fathers, we uh, sang this morning, nothing in our hands we bring simply to your cross we cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. Follow I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Lord, we sing those words, and, and we sing them with some emotion. Some of us sing them with, with tears in our eyes. And yet there are moments when we forget that message, and we tend to become braggadocious about our faith, and we tend to lose sight of your grace, and we forget that it is not our work that stands us in good stead with you. It is the work of Jesus on the cross that purchases our redemption. So, Father, as, as many of us are disciples of Jesus this morning who struggle uh, with boasting, Father, I pray that this would be uh, a sermon, uh, quite frankly, I pray that it would be a sermon of conviction. I pray that you would uh, touch our hearts, allow us to see this subtle tendency in our lives, that we may repent of it, that we may be uh, a people that are truly uh, filled with your spirit and humble and graceful as we point people not to ourselves, but to Jesus. And Father, for anybody who's here this morning that maybe has been uh, burned or hurt uh, by the, uh, the greater Christian community, or maybe even Green Tree, we've hurt them because we haven't cared well. We haven't been humble. We, we've, we, we've pointed to ourselves instead of to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would, A, that you would forgive us for doing that if we are guilty, and B, that you would minister to folks this morning that may uh, just have not seen the gospel in action, and, and it's because we've messed it up. Lord Jesus, you know that um, this is your word and it is perfect and I can't do justice to it. So I pray that you'd forgive me for my sin, uh, that you would come, that you would teach us this morning by your grace and by your mercy and by your powerful word. We pray in your name. Amen. Uh, I am going to, before I jump into this text, I'm going to do a fly-through review of Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to put it on the screen, and uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with it because uh, there are about eight points to it. Uh, If this goes by too quick and you like to take notes and you want this, email me this week. I'll send you this outline. You can have it. Uh, But we've got to get the context of chapter 3 in order to really appreciate what Paul is saying uh, in these last few verses. So at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul asks the question. He says, is there any advantage with God based on lineage or ability to keep his law? Paul asks the question, is there any advantage to being a Jew? Does God look at them more favorably? Are they in better shape? Do they have a, a, a better chance to get to heaven? If I follow the law, if I try to do everything and just, I know I'm going to mess up every once in a while, does that get me in? A, am I in better shape with God? And then he begins to answer that question. And he says, everybody, Jew and Gentile, fall short. All are guilty without exception, whether you have the law or you don't know the law. At one point, Paul says the Gentiles are a law to themselves because their conscience speaks the law to them. So Paul says everybody falls short. We're guilty. 
Not only that, we're all accountable to God for violating his perfect standard. In chapter 2, Paul says, we will have to give an account when God judges. How does God respond, therefore? Well, Paul goes on to introduce this idea of God's righteousness, and God responds to our sin, to our brokenness, to our violation of his law by manifesting, by making known, by showing in clear, broad daylight his righteousness to everybody. He defines righteousness as the perfect balance of justice and mercy. God neither ignores sin nor ignores the plight of the sinner, but he deals with both of them simultaneously through Christ. And we'll go on to see how that works. God's justice and mercy come together perfectly in Christ. How? At the cross. Jesus exchanged his perfection for my imperfection, for your imperfection, as payment for the penalties our sins deserve. That's the justice is met at the cross. God doesn't turn a blind eye to your sin or to my sin, but he, but he dealt that penalty out on Jesus as he exchanged his perfection for our, our imperfection. Through Jesus' gift, through his sacrifice on the cross, man, men, women, children, everybody who, who put uh, trust in Christ, they're justified, they're made right before God, not by works, but by faith, by trusting in this gift of Jesus. Salvation, therefore, is received by faith, not by good works or by obeying the law. So Paul has given this, this teaching in chapter 3, and if, if you want to maybe this afternoon, go back and read chapter 3 or read it a little bit more this week and let all that sink in. Now, knowing this, we would ask the question, well, where is the room for boasting? And, and, and you don't even seem to need to ask the question. Where would I possibly begin to try to take any credit for my salvation? Where, where is this idea of boasting? And it's gone. Anybody that reads chapter 3 before they get to verse 27 knows that they have no room to take credit for their faith. So why do we need verses 27 through 31? Why didn't Paul just stop at 26 and move on to chapter 4? Well, the facts are that, that although it's a foregone conclusion on paper that we would abandon our pride, I think the apostle was well-versed not only in the Word of God but in the uh, true nature of humanity. And the apostle knows the subtle temptation with which we all deal. It is the temptation of spiritual self-confidence. It's wanting to, to take credit in some way for my salvation. And so he gives us this gift, the Spirit of God through Paul, gives us this gift in verses 27 through 31 to remind us once again uh, that it is by grace through faith and it's not our works. So I want to look at this, and I'm going to give you three observations in this text. The first one is found in verses 27 and 28, and what I'm going to call a redirected focus. What becomes of our boasting? Well, Paul calls us to, in a sense, get our eyes looking in the right direction. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. Why, how can it be exclu- excluded? By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Boasting that I have a hand in my salvation is excluded. How? By what Paul calls a law, the law of faith. And I want to talk about this for just a moment. The law of faith simply means that, that I'm trusting in, in something else. When I put my faith, if I, I sat down while uh, the Stephen ministry story was being told, I sat in the chair. I had faith that the chair was going to hold me up. 
Having faith is putting your, your trust in something other than yourself. Theologians call this, this idea of the law of faith, they call it trust in an alien righteousness. Not aliens like outer space coming, you know, take me to your leader, aliens, right? But an alien, something apart from me. A righteousness that is not my own, that I don't earn, that I don't work to get, is given to me. Someone else has acted on my behalf and has done what I could never do for myself. And so Paul says that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Why? Because the cross of Christ. When Jesus died for my sins, he brought justice and mercy together. God said sins must be atoned. They must be paid. The penalty must be paid. And Jesus said, I will pay the penalty. So that we can then say, now, sinner, you can have mercy. Because as, as uh, immediately as God said, sins, uh, the penalty must be paid. He also said, I have an, uh, an unending love for the sinner. And nobody in, in heaven and earth can bring those two things together. Except Jesus Christ at the cross. And instead of the wrath I deserve, Jesus took my wrath. And the, and the blessing of God, which only he deserved, now becomes mine, not by what I do, not by what you do, but by faith. And I need to direct my attention because uh, to this, to this uh, focus on faith because my contribution in this whole exchange, what do I bring to the table? Well, the song actually got it a little bit wrong. Nothing in my hands I bring, right? We, we say that a few minutes ago scripturally speaking, that's not quite technically accurate. And I almost hate to say that. Chip, don't stop singing that song. I love this song. But I actually have something in my hands. It's all my sin. It's all my junk. It's all the thoughts that you've never never know are in my head. It's the words that I've spoken that maybe you haven't heard me speak. It's the angry outbursts. It's a shameful attitude. I can go on and on and on. Technically speaking, my hands aren't empty. They're filled with my sin. That's what I bring to the exchange. God says, hey, Tom, what do you have to offer? And I said, this is it. (laughs) He says, I'll take that. And here's my perfection. How could I possibly boast about that? Where's the room for boasting? When uh, when our youngest son, Jordan... The, uh, the one that's on the dean's list, not to mention it. By the way, they, they were, they, they, uh, he plays hockey, and they had an overtime game against Ole Miss last week. They were tied 4-4, four to four and he scored the winning goal in overtime for the team. But I don't really want to get sidetracked on that either. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. When he was, uh, when he was I guess, about three years old, uh, one of the, the one that he was not a kid in my youth group anymore, but a guy that was in my youth group, Jason Seifer, got married, and he wanted Jordan to be the, uh, the ring bearer. And so Jordan gets his little tuxedo, and he's got, you know, he's the ring bear, and we have a great time at the wedding. Then we go to the reception, which was over in, um, in Westport Plaza, and I don't remember what hotel, but there was a pool outside. And I think it was uh, an early September wedding, uh, maybe late summer, but it was, it was warm, and it was nice. It was kind of everybody was out by the pool waiting for the couple to arrive, and then we were all going to go in and enjoy the evening. And so we're all hanging out by the pool, and I'm watching Jordan. And there's a, there's a corner on the pool, and Jordan is kind of on this side, and I'm watching him, and he's running, and he's kind of jumping across across the corner. And at first he kind of, you know, just cuts off a little bit of the corner. Then he cuts a little bit more off of the corner, a little bit more off the corner. And, and I'm of the school of thought in parenting that a little water in your lungs is not a bad learning tool. Uh, that isn't too bad for you. It's maybe a good way to learn. And I know what's going to happen. And soon enough, he bites off more than he can chew and down he goes, tuxedo and all. And he was under that water all of maybe two and a half seconds. 
when a big hand reached out and grabbed him and pulled him out and smiled at him and said, I got you. His dad was right there. Now, Jordan didn't go back into the reception and find the flower girl and say, hey, you know, I, I fell in the pool and, uh, and somehow miraculously after a couple seconds I had this burst of energy and I, I sprung from the pool and, and, and superhumanly somehow I managed to live and hey, can I refill that Sprite for you and you like to dance later? I mean, you know, he had no, he had no business boasting about that incident because the only thing he brought to the occasion was falling into the pool. But there was someone there to save him. And when we focus on God's grace and not our works, when we live by the law of faith, so when we begin to see that God is the one who's had mercy on our souls, and what we have brought to the equation is our guilt and our sin and our shame, and he takes all of that away and exchanges it for our righteousness. But Paul knew that we might forget that from time to time. Uh, one of the uh, theologians that I'm studying and reading, I got his quote in here someplace, uh, a theologian named Edwards, um, and I've quoted him a couple times, but I want to read to you what he says about this. It's not long, but, but he makes a great point. He says, what is clear is that grace stands in conflict with boasting. Justification by works is the presumption to calculate what God owes to one and not to another. The arithmetic of what he calls legalism, this idea of I can, I can work my way into heaven, the arithmetic of legalism, legalism juggles the figures to show a refund due in my column, which God must pay. But the arithmetic of grace is based on a bottom line that all have failed, but that God has mercy on all. The arithmetic of grace shows a balance due in my call, and yet a cancellation of that debt. God reckons the sinner righteous solely by grace through faith and not by works. Now, why is this important? Uh, How do we put legs on this. Why does it matter this morning that we're considering this? This is not just an intellectual exercise. If you stop and think about the core values of Green Tree Community Church for just a moment, to grow disciples, to renew communities, and to plant churches. So I'm going to talk about us as a a church as a whole for just a moment. You think about that activity, growing disciples. How are we going to grow disciples if our focus is on us? Do we really want to say to people, come be like us? Do we really want to say, hey, we found all the perfect people and we've gathered at Green Tree Community Church and if you're lucky, we'll let you in? Is that really going to be our message? But does my life sometimes reflect an arrogance? Does my life at times show that maybe I've forgotten how deeply I needed the grace of God? Renewing communities? You want to have mercy on others? You want to renew a community? You want to show compassion and grace, and have a focus that says we care not just about our, our church family, but we care about our community. We want our community to be, to be a better place because we are here. That doesn't happen if we turn our eyes inward and focus on ourselves. If we do that, we'll begin to be judgmental. We'll begin to say, you know, the rest of the community needs to be more like us, planting churches. Why would you want to start a new work uh, in, like the one we've just recently started in downtown St. Louis unless you understood how desperately people needed the grace of God in Christ because you've begun to get your mind around the fact of how desperately you need it yourself. Paul redirects our focus so that we can understand God's grace. Secondly, I want us to understand in verses 29 and 30, an all-encompassing grace. Uh, What has become of boasting? Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised 
through faith. Lineage does not replace or supersede the cross. Not for the, for the Jews in the Old Testament or for those who claim to follow Christ in the New Testament and beyond to our day and age. We can't say, hey, you know, we're, we're Presbyterians or we're Green Tree or whatever, that in any way that that supersedes what Christ has done. Lineage does not replace the cross. My bloodline is not more precious to God than the blood of his very own son. Do I really want to exchange uh, my righteousness for Jesus? Do I really want to put myself in that kind of comparison? But the flip side is just as true, friends. Absence of pedigree does not disqualify me because Jesus's perfect pedigree is credited to my account. Both the supremely self-confident and the one who is hopelessly lost in their brokenness stand in equal need of the justification of Jesus. The grace of God is not needed more in some people's lives and less in others. I spent about the first 35 years of my life believing that. I knew I needed grace, but I knew you needed more. (laughs) You didn't want to be around a guy like that. How, How do you read scripture and get to that point? We all stand in need of God's grace equally, whoever we are, whatever we may have done or not done. Again, when you think about the application of this, are we inviting unbelievers to to a works? Are we inviting unbelievers to come and, and to try harder? Are we inviting unbelievers to come and see the mercy of Jesus and take it for their own? One is oppressive. The other is the most powerful force the world has ever seen. The grace of God is irresistible. When Jesus makes himself known, not because he calls us to try harder, not because he calls us to roll up our sleeves and just work a little bit more at it, but he says, put your work down. Stop striving. Those sins you have, bring them over here. Lay them at the foot of the cross. Let me pay the price for your sins. Friends, that is is the most powerful life-changing force in the world. I just finished this book, uh, Unbroken. And I was talking to a friend as, as he walked in this morning about the ending, which I'm not going to give away. Uh, but, but the story of Louis Zamperini is a story of redemption in many ways. And, and he was a prisoner of war in um, the South Pacific, in the Japanese homelands. And years after the war, he wrote a letter to one of his uh, captors after he had become a Christian. And I'm going to read that letter for you. It's not very long. It says, As a result of my prisoner of war experiences under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, My post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks, to a confronta- but thanks to a confrontation with God, through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced hate. I had, um, I had the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you probably had committed harikari, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like others, I also forgave you and now hope that you would also become a Christian. Uh, Earlier in the book, on two occasions, he plots the murder of the man to whom he writes that letter. 
He didn't become a good person by works. The grace of God captured his heart. He saw for the first time ever his need for Savior, and it changed everything about his life, the all-encompassing grace in which we stand. But then lastly, I want us to see in verse 31, uh, Paul says, what becomes of boasting? Well, you have to have a proper legal perspective to get this. And in verse 31, uh, he, he, he wraps up this kind of, okay, faith law, which is it? Are, are we grabbing one and not the other? Do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. One of the results of, of, of seeing the grace of Christ is that we may be tempted to discard the law or ignore its intended purposes. Remember, friends, the law is perfect. It shows the glory of God. It shows the perfection of his character. And a response of faith doesn't reject the law. Rather, a response of faith affirms the law is perfect, but also immediately says, but I am not. I cannot keep the law. The law is not, has not gone wrong. The law is not evil. The law rather shows me my imperfection and it drives me to the cross of Christ. I'm going to put up uh, Galatians. Oh, actually, it's on the bottom of the screen. Galatians 3.24, which is also a letter that Paul wrote. And he says this, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. That word guardian he uses there is a, is a term in the Roman world that was the person who was in charge of getting the kids to school every morning. Students, uh, children uh, of wealth and prosperity would go to tutors, and they would go to different tutors during the day. And they'd go to one to learn math. They'd go to one to learn philosophy. They'd go to another to learn geography. And the, and, the, and the guardian's job was to get them to the tutors on time. But the guardians who were slaves, okay, would have as a tool to make sure the kids didn't get, you know, they go through the market, oh, I think I'll go over and grab an apple, or oh, I'll see some friends, I'll talk to them. They carried a whip with them. They carried a long stick that had a nice little sharp point on the end. And when the kids started to go off the path, they would smack them, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting you go out and make that whip, but the guardian was driving the children to the tutor. The guardian was not the tutor. The guardian was not the teacher. The guardian makes sure they got to the right place, That's what the law does. It drives you to Christ. Because if you really study the law, don't just give it a passing glance. If you really study the law, you will learn very quickly how hopeless it is to think that you could ever keep it. And God's law is perfect and he he demands perfection. And if you slip up in one point of the law, you are guilty of all. So Paul says you've got to understand that legally you're right before God, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has done. And that's the purpose of the law is to show you how much you need Jesus. But what do we do? We, we want to say, oh, yeah, uh, let, let me tell you a little bit about my situation. It's a little bit different. Um, my wonderful wife got a ticket yesterday. <laughs> and I'm so happy. <laughs> Because she's never gotten a ticket. Oh, she got one when she was like 19 years old. And I've got, I have so many run-ins with the law. It's unbelievable when it comes to driving my automobile. And um, she's going down a hill. And she puts on her brakes and she slides through a stop sign. She can't stop because it's snowing. And the cop gives her a ticket for running the stop sign. This is just such a great story. Because she said when he got out of his car and came over to her, I thought he was asking me if I needed help. And he said, ma'am, you ran that ticket. Well, she's, in, she's incredulous. And she just can't believe, you know, I, I tried to stop. And he said, well, you were obviously going too fast for the conditions. To which you replied, if I was going any slower, I'd have been parked. Now, having had a lot of conversations with police officers, I can tell you that's the wrong approach. So 
We go through the day, and she, she's here. She, I told her I was going to pick on her a little bit. She goes through the day, she says, I want to fight this. I'm going to court. I'm going to, I'm going to make my case. And I'm going, yeah, okay, that's a great idea. Why don't you just pay the fine and get over it? So last night, we're at a wedding reception. We run into a buddy of mine who's an attorney, a member here at Green Tree. And uh, I called him over and said, Chris. I said, Cindy, tell Chris your story. Tell him what you want to do. She goes, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it. And he goes, did you stop at the white line there on the street? She goes, no. He goes, that's the only thing the judge really cares about. So why don't you just give me that ticket? We'll pay it, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just move on. <laughs> and uh, that, the law is the law. Now, that's a goofy story, but friends, the law of God is the law of God. And when I tell you that you are justified by faith, what, not when I tell you, when, when Scripture tells you that, what it's telling you is that is a legal deal. It is binding in the law of God. He will not change his mind. He will not pull the rug out from under you. Your salvation, your justification, your being made right in Christ legally binds you to God for all of eternity. Do we really want to replace that security with a works mentality that leaves us fearful and anxious and fretting whether or not we have done enough today to earn God's love? God forbid, where's boasting? Jesus has paid the price. Paul says, I'm going to show you one other verse in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It leaves us with a brutal honesty about the grace in which we stand. It says, you know what? I am a sinner. I have not kept the law. But God has been gracious to me. 